really excited for this show coming up because I have the amazing Clayton King with me. All the way from yes, and that's gonna be next. You're gonna like take off your shirt, and it's gonna be Spider-Man outfit (laughs) underneath. That's the kind of show it's gonna be. Clayton King, if you don't know him, he's an author of over a dozen books, fourteen books. He's a professor. He's the founder and CEO, president of Clayton King Ministries. He's a pastor of the largest church in America. He's most importantly, a father and a husband to two boys. I could go on. What else did I miss? Uh, you know, I, I drink a lot of coffee. That's a good thing. And I was a professional wrestling fan in my former <gasps> life. And you can stay here now on the show. Yes. That is perfect. And you're going to learn a lot about how to do the Christian life well coming up next. King, so great to have you in the studio here. It's good to be back in yeah. Canada. My I know. Second favorite country in it the world. It is. We've seen a lot of you here. Canadians love you. Well, I love Canadians. Why is that? I love Canadians because honestly, and this is this is absolute honest response from me. Mm-hmm. Some of the kindest, most most li- uh, genuinely nice people oh, that I've ever met. Wow. Very friendly. I think the I think in the South where I'm from in mm-hmm. South Carolina, there's this assumption that. People in the southeast region of America are the nicest people in the world. I'd put Canadians up against southeastern Americans any day. Really? Yeah, yeah, and uh, so multicultural, mm-hmm. uh, b- a beautiful tapestry of cultures, especially coming to Toronto. You yeah, know, when I, where I always fly in. But I love Canada too because I've got so many great memories of being here and doing ministry. And my wife and I and our children have vacationed in Canada a couple really? of times. Yeah, where have you vacationed? Uh, Vancouver. We've been yes. to British Columbia a couple Beautiful. of times, and even once uh, we came to Toronto and Niagara Falls. And so we love the area. I Plus love the that. weather today. First time I've been to Toronto that it's been um, a clear day without clouds and rain. Really? Yeah, it took me six times, but I, <laughs> finally. You know what? The, this was sponsored by the Canadian Tourism Board. Yeah. Thank you, Clayton. You're going to give me a big kick yes, for that. Yes, it will. <laughs> now, I just rattled off a whole bunch of your, let's say, accolades or titles. And for a lot of people, they'd be like, that's a lot. Mm. Does that sometimes, when you hear all of that, does it sometimes make you go, wow? You know, does it make your heart palpitate and and give you a bit of anxiety, or are you in a good space where you're like, I can handle all that? I'm in a great space right now. I'm 44. I just celebrated my 30th year in ministry. Mm -hmm. And I think that through uh, through the input of some real wise mentors and great men of God who are older than me in my life, and from reading some books just about personality styles and personality traits, I've come to discover that the reason why I do so many things uh, because some would say you can only do one thing well, and if you do mm-hmm. only do one thing well, you don't have time or space for anything else. Well, I think the one thing I do well, by God's grace, is ministry. That's my mm-hmm. one thing. That ministry takes lots of different uh, approaches, lots of different facets, whether it's writing or whether it's doing TV or radio or whether it's I just became the executive editor of, a, of Youth Worker Magazine, which wow. is a brand new, magaz- uh, brand new magazine that we've just taken over as a ministry from the nonprofit side. I'm a high-capacity guy. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to math and science, I can't do anything. No, I'm neither terrible. can I. Mm-hmm. When it comes to details, I am not an administrator. <laughs> I don't even know what day it is most, most of the time. <laughs> but um, the way I can do so much is not only am I wired, I think, to stay busy, that, that mm-hmm. really makes me feel alive, but I have to give credit to the team I've developed. Yeah. I've got a great team from our nonprofit side. I've got a great team at our church at New Spring. And so the people that I've surrounded myself with allow me to do all these different streams of ministry that I'm, that I'm currently involved in. So Amazing. I feel like I'm in a good spot. Yeah. 
You know, Clayton, that's really important to have a good team around you um, because I've noticed that in my own journey. It's that, you know, I need a team to help me get to where I need to be. I can't yeah. do it. I try to. You know, a lot of women are known to be multitaskers and high capacity on able to do a lot of things. But I've noticed, especially in ministry and broadcast, I will burn out if yeah. I don't have a team to help me. That's right. And you can't do it by yourself. If you read the story of Moses in the book of Genesis, uh, going into Exodus, obviously, when you read the story of Moses, he was really about to kill himself because he was administrating all these <laughs> Israelites and trying to run their lives and trying to keep them happy in the desert. And the instruction he received from his father-in-law was, you cannot work from day and from, from sunup till sundown every single day. And, and he then went out and he delegated. And sometimes as leaders, I think what we do is we delegate responsibility well, but what I've learned is that I need to move beyond delegating responsibility and I need to delegate authority. Oh, that's and good. that empowers the people on our yeah. team to actually make decisions. It also empowers us to do the handful of things that we do well and not have to be burdened down or distracted by all the decisions that we should be delegating for someone else to make. You know, that's a hard one, though, to give authority because for somebody who is a control freak yeah. or likes the control and managing everything to their, you know, likeness, um, that's a tough one to let go. It is tough. And what it does is it, it forces us to let Jesus crucify our ego. Uh. <laughs> um, I've, I've been in that space Ooh. for about a year. I'm, we'll probably talk about that later. Mm. But I've been in that space where I stepped into a role in one of the largest churches in America. And we actually decided to do some things that forced us as a team to sit down at a table together and actually lay all of our ego out on the table and allow the Holy Spirit to like reveal how control freakish some of us were, yes. mostly me, and then let the Holy Spirit say, it's okay, take your hands off of that. Mm -hmm. There are other people that I've gifted to do these things that you don't need to be doing. If and, and so when we refuse to let go of our control over an aspect of our life or our ministry, then we're not only hurting ourselves, but we're keeping someone else from stepping into their destiny that God's called them to because we've got our hands on the project that they need to be managing. Yeah. Hard lesson to learn. Yeah, and I wish more organizations knew that. Yeah. And actually acted on that. Because yeah. I've seen so many organizations where there was so much control that it stifled and literally killed people. And either people left, went on stress leave, mm. or depressed. And then people are wondering why the organization isn't thriving and doing well. Right. You know, that's encouraging. Have you written a leadership book? No, yet? I haven't. Maybe I, you need to. I, you know, I've got, I was actually <laughs> on the ride over here uh, from the TV studio. I was thinking about the next three books I want to write, mm -hmm. but I can't even go there in my mind because I have two more books already due. <laughs> uh, I've got another book due with Baker coming up in July, and I have a book due with Lifeway. My wife and I are writing a book on Proverbs right now, and that's due. Well, I don't know. I have to call my editor tonight yeah. on the way home to find out when that one's going to be due because they gave me an extension because of some things that had taken place that uh, kind of took me away from it. So I would love to write a book on leadership. Be great. I think I need to have a teenager that's driving a car before I can <laughs> like write with authority about a, a leadership that's book. That's actually perfect. I think that's going to take me in a brand new space. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Let's go way back now. So, you know, you're, you're a pastor of the largest church in America. You're a professor. You're a president, founder, all these things. But Way, way back, it all began, it seems, when you were 14. So yeah. you, you gave your life to Jesus, and at 14, you're sort of thrown in this incredible um, sort of arena of preaching and speaking. And I want to yeah. walk us through that, because for a lot of people that listen and watch, it's like you see the people where they're at now, and yet they don't know or realize 
or you know appreciate all the hard work and the steps it mm. took for us to get there. Yeah. I get that a lot, Clayton. Like people are like, oh, look at you, Melinda. You're media. You're in broadcast. You're doing all these things. I'm like, but the backstory is actually the real story. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, it, the backstory is the story. Yeah, is the story. Yes. Yeah. One of my mentors said to me. So this year, I, I celebrated my 30th year in ministry. Mm. I'm 44. God called me to preach when I was 14. And one of my mentors, an older pastor that I love and respect so much, said, uh, well, congratulations, Clayton. It took you 30 years to become an overnight success. Because that's what people <laughs> think. They see a successful ministry, mm-hmm. a successful author, a big church, and they think, oh, wow, you just kind of popped up on the scene one day, and that's really not how it works. Um, I did want to, just just for my own sake, for clarity, mm-hmm. um, our church is actually not the largest church in America. We were named the third largest church in America about okay. a year ago, but we've actually quit turning our numbers in to uh, Outreach Magazine now because we don't want to be so focused on reaching the masses that we miss the one. Um, but, you know, that's part of my story, too. So the way that I arrived to where I'm at now, uh, and I haven't arrived, I'm continuing to grow and I'll mm. hopefully continue to change. It all started, obviously, my mom and dad, uh, they, um, such a cool story. They adopted me when I was two weeks old. So my whole life, I've known I was adopted. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom and dad helped me understand what a big deal it was and how special it was that they got to pick me out. Other parents didn't get to return their kids, is what my mom and dad said. So as a little boy, I I felt like I was special. I was raised in church, uh, Baptist, Presbyterian, and Pentecostal. And I know that sounds crazy. And it was. Yeah. So I I joke and tell people being Baptist, Presbyterian, and Pentecostal means I was predestined to eat fried chicken while drinking wine at a deacon's meeting. That's awesome. So uh, That's great. I love that. So I went to Christian school. I went to church. My dad was a deacon. My grandfather Mm -hmm. sang in a gospel bluegrass band. Amazing. Wow. And I had a lot of head knowledge about Jesus, Mm -hmm. but I didn't have Jesus in my heart. And so when I was 14, through the testimony of my parents who loved Jesus, through the influence of my pastor, through growing up in church and Christian school and all of those streams of influence, the thing that God really used to bring me across the line of faith was a converted drug dealer at my Christian school. This guy had uh, been kicked out of some public schools. but He was a, a drug dealer. He was a drug user. And he was radically saved. His name was John. Mm-hmm. And John came to our Christian school, spoke in our chapel. He was 17. I was wow. 14. And through his testimony, I converted to faith in Christ. Now, this Incredible. is probably the, the turning point of my story. And it's the one that I always go back to. Mm-hmm. I'm down on my knees at an altar in a small church in Greer, South Carolina, where I was from. And I'm praying the sinner's prayer. I'm literally in the middle of giving my life to Jesus. I am becoming a Christian. This is like the moment of new birth. Mm-hmm. And I heard an audible voice. Now, listen, people, I know some people don't believe God speaks audibly. Don't send me emails. Don't get mad. <laughs> don't question my theology. I know he doesn't do it for everybody. Mm-hmm. But I heard an audible voice say, preach the gospel. At 14. At 14, on my knees at this altar. An hour later, I'm at my mom and dad's house. We, we The youth group dropped me off at my house. I'm upstairs in my bedroom. I'm about to go to bed on my knees at my bed. I was so punch drunk in love with Jesus at that moment. I've been mm-hmm. a Christian for an hour. I'm down on the on the floor praying with my hands up like this, kneeling beside my bed. I'm, I'm telling Jesus, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything you want me to do. And I heard him again say, preach the gospel. The very next day, I went to school, and I told my principal that I'd become a Christian, and he asked me if I'd like to speak in chapel. And that was the first door that God opened in my life 12 hours after I became a Christian. 
And for the last 30 years, it's just been one open door after another. You know, Clayton, that's incredible because I, you know, in my experience and still to this day, you know, for adults to trust a 14-year-old to speak and get that opportunity. Like, you know, there is those things within, you know, youth group and whatnot. But it sounds that to me that there was a lot of people that were like – backing you and cheering you on, even though you were 14. A lot of people say, no, wait until you've gone through Bible college and wait until you've got some solid theology and wait until you're ready. And maybe when you're 18, you can do it. But you're 14. It was the community that that God put around me Mm. that that gave me that start. My mom and dad were my biggest fans. My dad was my Sunday school teacher when I was a kid. My pastor at our home church gave me access to the pulpit. He even told me, Clayton, anytime you want to preach, come and tell me. I'll give you Sunday nights. I'll give you a Sunday morning if you want it. Um, we carpooled with a pastor and his family at the Christian school we went to, one of our the church that my mom, that my dad grew up in. He opened up his pulpit to me. There were all these people in our little mm-hmm. small country community in South Carolina that rallied behind me. Even the principal at my school, at my Christian school, said, you can speak in chapel anytime you want to. Praise. If those people had not come around me and mm-hmm. rallied around me, I don't know what would have happened. But I've always known from the moment that I felt God call me to salvation and to ministry, that I was an evangelist. Mm-hmm. So Billy Graham has always been my, my hero. Mm-hmm. Tried to model our ministry and the integrity that Billy Graham had is something I've always tried to, to respect and, and model. And so when God began to open up doors, he opened up the doors for me to go places to preach the gospel and see people saved. He's also given me an entrepreneurial spirit. Mm-hmm. So I start things. So I went through high school. I played high school football, baseball, basketball, mostly football. That was my primary sport. Went to college. When I got to college, um, I'm kind of fast-forwarding through a lot of this. I started my own summer camp, which is still going strong. We just finished our 22nd year. That's great. Um, I started a missions organization. We're still going strong. I've now traveled in 45 countries. And this is all in college? You were all in this. college. I did this. I started a student conference that meets every January, and that's still going strong, 21 years. Um, and so that was sort of this season of my life that God gave me all these dreams and the, and the resources to make them happen. Then I met my wife, and my wife and I got married right out of college. I've been out for two years mm-hmm. when we met, and we were married when I was 26, and she's my partner in ministry. So fast forward now in my third decade, uh, I just became the executive editor of a youth ministry magazine. Mm-hmm. Our ministry is sending people all over the world on mission trips from the nonprofit side. Uh, and then about a year ago, I stepped into a role as a pastor, something I'd never done before. Mm-hmm. But God even trained me for that because um, eight or nine years ago, I stepped in as campus pastor at Liberty University, which was... And I think that's when I met you, I was, right? Yeah, I right. was going to say, that's when I knew you yeah. from Liberty University. And so even though I've just been an evangelist for all these years, yeah. traveling and speaking at churches and youth conferences and big events and stadiums, then God opened up a door for me to learn how to pastor people at the largest Christian university in the world. And then right about the time that that door closed for me at Liberty, God opened up a door for me to, even though I was continuing to travel and do all the nonprofit stuff and do the evangelism and write books, I stepped in as a, as a, as a pastor at one of the largest churches in America. And now 14 months later, I can look back and say the last 14 months have been the hardest and the mm-hmm. happiest of my life. And that's what's so crazy is that something so hard, taking a church, um, we lost our founding pastor uh, due to some unfortunate circumstances. I stepped in as interim senior pastor for a year. Now we have a team leading our church, and I'm part of that team as one of the teaching pastors. But it's crazy that I can look back over my whole entire 30 years in ministry, and I can see that the hardest things 
always, when I reflect on them, coincide with the happiest times. Agreed. I would because say I think so they too. push us to Jesus. They do. I mean, when I all through this podcast, I've talked about very difficult things, and yet in those difficult moments, it was always Jesus. It was community and family, but it was always Jesus. And I have heard Jesus audibly talk to me. Yeah. I mean, that's and that's the way we speak. I also journal and I pray out prayers and and write out things that He says. Yeah. But it's always been. And people have always said, "Have you blamed God? Been angry?" Nope. I've always said never. I, I've blamed and gotten angry at people because right. people make really bad choices and decisions and create circumstances that hurt and violate and right. abuse. But God never. I've never because I've always, always felt him and known him. And I don't know if that's, you know, I'm also adopted. Yeah. You know, I, I talk a lot about that, Clayton, when I'm out speaking at conferences and there's something very special about being adopted kid because I understand being adopted into the family of God. Right. I understand the new name, you know, the new opportunity. So that's been very from the beginning, right? Yeah. And I was orphaned, you know, and I adopted at one week old. And so I get that. So yeah. are there moments like I have where I sit and I can't breathe because I can't believe the opportunities God's given me? Oh, yeah. You know, I, like, I wake up every day thinking I can't believe I get paid to do this. Yeah, exactly. Andy Stanley said, uh, he's a pastor in America. I'm sure many people know who he is, North Point Church. He's a friend of mine. Andy said, I don't have a job. I have a hobby I get paid to do. <laughs> that's great. And that's how I feel about <laughs> ministry. Yeah. Like I would do this for free. And you know what the irony is? I did it for free. For the first 10 years, pretty much. I, 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 did, I very seldom got paid when I would go somewhere to speak. I didn't make a salary. Now I'll make a salary. I didn't have health insurance You know, for a lot of, the, a lot of those years. I, I can't believe I get paid to do what other people die to do. Yeah. Because all across the world, ministers, pastors, Christians, they lose their lives. They're, they're beaten. They're martyred for their faith. Uh, I get paid to do what other people lay their life down for. Amazing. What a blessing. I can't believe it. Clayton, what do you say to people who, you know, they look at us and they want what we have, or there might be jealousy, or, you know, I guess the question is, can everybody and anybody do what we do? Or maybe that's not the question. Maybe it's, how do you get to that place where people are like, I'm in a really good place, and it's and I'm feeling alive and encouraged? Because I don't yeah. think a lot of people have that. Well, I think some people may look at the life um, of a Christian, or maybe even like your life or my life, and they see us looking happy, or they hear us talking about joy and happiness. But what they may not see is that that joy and happiness is not some kind of cheap sentimentality. It's hard fought and hard won. Like the, the way that I have joy every day is I push through. So one of my seminary professors said this, if you want to be happy, you have to endure the manure. Yeah. And I say that to myself all the time because yeah. so much of the joy that people may see in my life they don't see the struggles. They don't see the early mornings and the late nights. They don't see the fact that even right now I've got four good friends going through divorces. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't see me preaching my father's funeral on Father's Day a few years ago. So anyone can have the joy of Christ if you will just repent of your sins, open up your heart, and trust Jesus. Um, but the reason why so many people don't have it, I think, is because either they don't know it's accessible to them, and they mm -hmm. don't know that God loves them, and they need us to tell them, and they need us to show them, mm -hmm. or they've given their lives to Jesus, and they're a Christian, but maybe they're not giving Jesus the first fruits of their day. Maybe they're not plugged into a local church. Maybe mm -hmm. they have no community, because isolation leads to assassination. And when we're isolated and we're trying to live the Christian life alone— the enemy can assassinate yes. us. He'll move us to a place where we're all by ourselves and no one's there to protect us, and he can pick us off. That's yeah. what wolves try to do when they try to attack their prey. Yeah. They try to find the weakest one that's isolated from the pack, and they go after that one. And so, yeah, anyone can—the the gospel is for everybody. 
And the joy of the Lord is available to anyone that will submit themselves to the Lordship of Christ. I think what keeps so many of us from experiencing that abundant mm-hmm. life is that we don't want to give up control to Jesus because we think if we give up control that we'll miss that authority that we have. Mm-hmm. But the funniest thing is when you surrender to Jesus, you, you'll never experience a freedom like that. Yeah, Nobody absolutely. to impress and nothing to prove. So good. And you know what? I, that's kind of, well, actually, really, that's why I do what I do. I mean, I call myself a storyteller. I go on broadcasts, web shows, TV, podcasts to encourage people. Because a lot of people say that, you know, they'll see me they're like, oh, Melinda, such a great life. And I'm like, you know, I've gone through depression. I've gone through a very public divorce. And, you know, the struggles of finding my way in the early days when I was in Canada of racism and, yeah. and issues on gender and being young. I mean, all of those things I had to push hard through. And so, you know, the battle wounds are still there and the scars. And yet I've always, though, remained faithful to Jesus. I mean, yeah, I did my prodigal time, Clayton. And, but it was funny, you know, I talked to some of my friends now, they said, you know, Mel, even though you were kind of being rebellious, you never went too extreme. Like it was like something was just holding you back. Like you did your clubbing and your partying, but you couldn't just step over the line. Something always kept you. And I always have believed that, you know, it was because I really understood God, the Father, the relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit in me, and from a young age. Yeah. And I think I really thank my mom and dad for instilling that in me. That was key. I relate to that. Even as a kid, you know? before I was a Christian, I was aware of God's presence. Yeah. I wanted to be a dad from the time I was five years old. I wanted <laughs> yeah. to be a husband from the time I was five years old. Yeah. I used to sit in the woods. I grew up hunting and fishing, and I used to sit in the woods dreaming about having a family, dreaming about having a dad, uh, being a dad and having kids and dreaming about the kind of woman I was going to marry. And by the grace of God, he's given me those things. Mm-hmm. It's his grace. Um, my wife is my partner in ministry. We write books together. We travel and speak together. Um, my wife is the greatest thing God ever gave me besides my salvation. And that's one thing that I tell guys, I have a, a coaching network. I train uh, 30 guys for a year mm-hmm. and I just finished up my fifth one. And I train these guys for ministry. They range in age from 17 to 50. Mm. And I tell them the most important decision you're going to make in your, in your life, besides giving your life to Jesus, is who you're going to marry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and my wife, other than my salvation, is the greatest gift God has ever given me because, not, not just because she loves me unconditionally, but because she's also the primary source of accountability and discernment in my life. So one of the, I believe, and I have to give God the glory for this, but the, the way that I've been able to do the things I've done, to travel and write books and, and see the world and start these nonprofits and begin a summer camp and help pastor a large church, so much of that is because of my wife, because oh, we do awesome. it together. And I never, ever ignore her when she has a discernment. If my wife has a bad feeling about a situation or a person or an opportunity, I slam on the brakes and I stop right there. It only took, wow. me, it only took me twice. We were married for two <laughs> years and... and Twice in those first two years, she warned me about certain situations and certain people, and mm. I ignored her discernment, and I paid a price for it. So I don't ignore her anymore. Good for you. Yeah. And I love that. I think that's so important that your partner or even you know, people who are listening to be you know, in discernment and community around as you look for a partner, as you mm-hmm. look at marrying somebody. Because you know? I think I've noticed that, that you know, friends and people I know, they've, they've taken it very sort of lackadaisical as who you choose. Yeah. Oh, they're a Christian? Okay, great. Or 
you know, I'm attracted to them, great. I'm just going to connect with them and, you know, get married or hook up. And, you know, I think for me, going through a very, you know, difficult divorce, that is something that I was very aware of, Mm -hmm. you know, as I, you know, went through you know, the next stage of my life and, and just, you know, remarried nine months ago. Congratulations. It took a number of years, a lot of years, because I had to discern and, and work through all that yeah. with community and, and a great Christian counselor. And, and But to find love again and be faithful with that has been amazing. Praise God. Yeah. I love the fact that God gives us second chances. Absolutely. What, what a great God. Amazing. <laughs> you know, Clayton, I know you're coming back, um, you know, because you have so much to say. And I know you're coming back because you're going to be talking about this book. Yeah, number 14. Is this number 14? Number 14, that's it. Overcome, uh, Replacing the Lies That Hold Us Down with the Truths That Set Us Free. And as I read it and I'm listening to your story, there's a lot of things here that I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, I believe that lie, Mm. you know? And it was really great for me to read this and be encouraged that I'm on sort of the right track. I'm, I'm, you know, countering those lies with truth. And, And you have a lot of personal stuff in here too. Like you, like again, you know, you've... You're still arriving, but there's things in here you're like, you know, I believe those same lies. Yeah, I do. And that's why I wrote the book, because I had to find a way to shut out the lies. Mm -hmm. I could not stop them. I felt like there was a constant companion. There were days I asked myself, am I schizophrenic? Because I kept hearing these voices in my head saying, God doesn't love you. You're not good enough. You'll never forgive these people that hurt you. You're not really a Christian because you have these doubts. Mm -hmm. Um, You, uh, all the lies. I I mentioned them in the book. I had to figure out a way to Mm -hmm. shut them up. And so I asked God to give me some insight and some wisdom and on the other side of that year-long process, mm-hmm. that little blue book right there came out. So it's kind of like, you know, how the sausage is made. Yeah. <laughs> it's a grind. Uh, yeah, sure and, then on, and then finally when it's over, there's a good product. Yeah. That was a very, very hard book to write. And I'm very transparent in the book. I lay it all out on the table. And I hope and I believe from what I'm hearing people say that it relates well to everybody mm-hmm. because we all have tons of lies we believe, but every one of us have one main lie. And that's the one we have to fight for our entire life. Well, I can't wait for you to come back um, into the studio, or maybe you'll just be sitting in the studio. Yeah. We're going to start up the, the next show. But I can't wait for you to come back to talk about you know this book, Overcome, because I think if I'm looking at my life, I would say my life themes are grace mm-hmm. and overcoming. Praise God. It really it's has good. been. So this is why this has resonated with me you know, so much. I loved it. So I, I'm really looking forward to hearing that. But thank you for sharing a bit about your life. I think as I listen back, you know, sort of my takeaways are just, I think it's that, you know, you push through, you've had community and great mentors yeah. and a partner and wife to, you know, to support you. That's right. And I think for me, as I look at my life, it's, I've got a, a great husband, Chris, who's been so supportive in everything I've done. And I've been very intentional and diligent about surrounding myself with a community mm. that I can be accountable with that will support me through it all. And so yeah. I think those are really key things, you yeah, know, and takeaways are. from you. And I'm so glad that you've got this grateful life and uh, you're doing great things for God. Well, thanks Very for having me on. I, I'm so honored to to talk about Jesus at any point, but also for, for you folks. This is a, a real treat for me. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Clayton King. And uh, where can we connect with you online? ClaytonKing.com. Mm-hmm. That's our website that has all the information about our, our nonprofit ministry. You can also check out our church, newspring.cc. We have 14 campuses all over South Carolina. A uh, pretty large church, 20, 25,000 people or so. And I'm one of the teaching pastors there. And I'll, I'm on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just Beautiful. type in my name, Clayton King. It'll be there. Good. It was a pleasure to have you here. Thanks. 
So what did you think of our story this week? Let me know in the comments below or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also find all our past episodes online at faithstrongtoday.com slash your story. 